Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Inside EMS, a.k.a. the Chris and Kelly Show. Today's Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by FirstNet. Built with AT&T, FirstNet uses the latest technology to keep your lines of communication and data open to help you respond faster, smarter, and safer. Here's a man I will say is uh, faster, smarter, and safer as a partner on this podcast, our good friend, Kelly Grayson, KG. How's your week been? It's been good, man. It's been good. Just started a new EMT class and uh, working on getting that lined out. Uh, the typical administrative headaches at the at the first day or two of any class you start, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna get it rolling here momentarily, and and uh, I look forward to to teaching these guys. Yeah. So, uh, how long is the course? Six weeks? No, it's no, it's longer than that. It's uh, it's um, three months. Uh, July, August, and uh, or June, July, and August ends in early September. So, so is the is a, that? I mean, what's the hour requirement? Do you do you extend that, or is that well three months? No, there there is no real hour requirement uh, per se, um, especially since we, you know we've gone to to flip classrooms and distance education and and outcomes based uh, teaching. You know, when we have educational guidelines. Uh, and uh, and end uh, uh, end objectives rather than 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 a uh, prescribed curriculum. Uh, so there really is no hours uh, basis anymore. Um, it's all about competencies. So I mean, if you can devise a curriculum where they achieve the competencies necessary in in a shorter amount of hours, then then fine. If not, then then you know you make it longer. But it's 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 more about streamlining and making sure you make adequate use of your time. So typically, uh, the classroom uh, port. Typically, the classroom part of, of my EMT classes now are are significantly shorter, 140, 150 hours. But uh, with the flipped classroom model, there's a great deal more of uh, of student uh, uh, student work that's done outside the classroom. So still, uh, we're we're bumping up at 250, 260 hours of, of total time. Probably more than that if you if you really count the the amount of time they're supposed to spend outside of class. Uh, doing their their assignments and everything. Uh, heck, it might be as much as three hundred hours some of them, but uh, it's working. So I'm I'm cool with it. Yeah, good man, good, awesome, awesome. But um, you know, so it's monkeypox season. I haven't put up the COVID <laughs> decorations yet. So how about that? <laughs> yeah. And I just heard though, uh, I was just reading that if you don't have a any symptoms, that makes you asymptomatic, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> How about Chris, that? Chris Cebolero, folks, he'll be here all week. Jokes are coming sure quick. Transitions are, that's right. Transitions <laughs> are coming. No, but anyway, uh, I was just reading about this monkeypox thing, but uh, it's just another craziness. But, you know, talking yeah. about craziness, Kelly, our, our conversation really has to go around these mass shootings again that are happening. Certainly yeah. uh, started with Buffalo and uh, in the supermarket and then now in the school down by San Antonio and and then, uh, you know, certainly the uh, shooting that just happened on um, Wednesday in Tulsa, where three uh, killed, three were killed in a shooting at a medical building. And it seems when these things happen, uh, the craziness starts to come out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. And you have copycats that are now trying to 
um, you know, have, uh, you know, have some mass shootings or be part of mass shootings. And really, uh, we don't talk about it a lot. Uh, we spent yeah. a lot of time training on school shootings and mass shootings. And we've certainly had our share over the past few years. And, you know, the, the mass shootings that have been happening in 2022 are um, st- statistically, uh, I mean, it's just a crazy number. I think the number is 24, 25, just since yeah. the start of the year. And I think that begs the question for us to kind of talk about, are we prepared? Have we got complacent? Is it time to start to think about uh, starting training again and, and keeping that on a regular yearly, quarterly, semi-annually basis? Yeah. And then the question comes into arming again. Do we need to think about having our responders uh, armed? You know, this big debate, and I want to give you a little pitch I was thinking about just to see your thoughts of getting off the topic a little bit. You know, now there's this push and, and, you know, certainly up in arms about arming teachers and so on and so forth. And I was actually talking to a teacher the other day who was saying, you know, I don't want anything to do with that. And I said, well, I bet you there are people in your school that would be uh, interested in that. You know, and it's one of the things that why couldn't you have people who were trained and, and, you know, like you have to be trained in a lot of states um, that, uh, have, uh, that you need a carry license for, you yeah. know, you've got a, you've got a lock box and, and you can, you know, Kelly, the sophistication of lock boxes where you have biometric and, you know, a, a code on your thing. And, you know, why can't there be a, a lock box with, with teachers who are trained to, you know, uh, handle those situations, but, we got to come up with something, man. But anyway, yeah. that's, I, I think I'm just getting up on a soapbox and that's not really what we wanted to talk yeah. about today, but certainly um, we need to think about these mass shootings, but I've been int- interested in your thoughts. You know, I, I think that, that uh, there's a sickness in our country, man. And, and, and it worries me and, and I, I'm not going to make a political statement. Uh, you guys, regular listeners to our podcast, know my feelings on the issue and know where I stand politically on 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 these things. Uh, but I'm not going to dance in the blood of uh, victims to make a political point. What I will say is, is that for the past eight, ten years at least, um, this growing rancor between everyone in society, you know, we've gotten much more confrontational. We've gotten, you know, people, people are not nice to each other anymore. And, and I think this is, this is, uh, this spate of, of shootings is, is emblematic of that, 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 uh, um, we're at each other's throats for, for so many trivial reasons. And, and, uh, and, you know, people are resorting to violence. Um, I, I don't know the answer to it, but I do know that, that we, it's real, we need to deal with it and we need to do something more than window dressing and lip service to, to help prevent it. Um, I think that, that Uvalde and, uh, and in Buffalo and, and, uh, in, in Tulsa, this, this latest uh, thing proved that gun-free zones are not gun-free. They do not work. Uh, they, you can't put up a sign and magically deter some psychopath who wants to rack up a body count. And, and, and it's ludicrous that we believe that that is so that putting up a sign, you know, gun-free zone, um, that, that it's, it's some magical barrier. Uh, and, and how often do, does that need to be proved wrong? Uh, and, and the bodies of children rack up because of that kind of magical thinking. We need to harden our schools. 
we need to take realistic steps toward defending our uh, most precious resources, our children, uh, our medical workers, our hell, our, our spouses and families. Um, we need to realize that there is a threat out there and that you don't know what psychopath is walking down the street uh, wanting to be uh, famous for a few days uh, or, or carry out some imagined grievance uh, uh, and, and try to kill as many people as he can. And I think that, that thinking that it won't happen is is magical thinking and that we need to to be realistic and start preparing you know and i think the the first thing is is harden harden our targets so there are no easy targets anymore yeah and i think that goes above our pay grade and that really goes into some uh you know a little bit more of uh, unfortunately i hate to say it more law more uh oversight and um but you know, I mean, we we're just going to keep talking about it, right? And yeah, and you see all the memes that are on social media, thoughts and prayers. You know, when it's gonna, when is it going to change to, you know, whatever um, action? Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know that any thoughts and prayers have have prevented a single act of violence. Uh, they're what people do instead of something. And and you know, I, I understand people's motivations. It, it wrenches me emotionally to 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 learn of these things and, and to see uh, the, the pain and anguish that the families and the community is going through. Uh, but, but, you know, sending thoughts and prayers, is just effing useless. You know, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a little worked up about this as well, but, but uh, at what point are we as a society going to quit sending thoughts and prayers and start doing something, you know, aside from the, 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 uh, hardening the targets and, and making it less likely uh, or, or less enticing to, to some psychopath, uh, placing some resistance in their path. Uh, why don't we also work on, on uh, something that is glaringly obvious? Our mental health system is non-existent in this country. And it pains me to say that because one of my favorite presidents is largely responsible for that. But this, this has been going on since the Reagan administration uh, and the chickens have come home to roost. We have got dangerous people roaming the streets that should be, it pains my libertarian soul to say this, but it should be locked the hell away, you know? Yeah, we know that mental health is, is a big issue and there just aren't the resources to take care of people. The other thing is, you know, a lot of times these folks don't realize that they have a mental health issue either, right? Yeah. And, uh, but we've got to be able to keep those folks from putting their hands on firearms and, um, you know, again, gets into a, a lot of political discussion about that. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a firm Second Amendment person. I believe that we have mm-hmm. the right to bear arms. You know, somebody actually said to me the other day, I made the mention, you know, I, I own an AR-15 myself. And they were really kind of angry at me as to why. Why do you need that? Why do you need that gun? And I said, well, you know, I don't need it. I said, but the reason why do that you I- get to tell me what I need. But I mean, I think it was a good, <laughs> I was a good question for them to understand. And I said, yeah. I said, I bought it for long distance shooting as yeah. I was as, and this is why I bought it. As I was getting older, I found that I maybe wasn't as sharp mentally as I thought I was probably just my own opinion. And I thought that if I got back on the range of long distance shooting and Kelly, you know, the, you know, the science that has to go into that of taking a a long shot. I mean, it's nothing where you just, yeah. you know, put a gun yeah. on a target, you know, 500 yards away and say, I'm going to hit this thing. 
difficult shooting is kind of a Zen experience. It's, it's actually relaxing, and, you know, uh, and, a, yeah. but that's why I did it. That's why I bought it was just mm -hmm. for that. I mean, it sits in its box until I go out to the range and it's nothing that is, uh, you know, out in the open or anything like that and different scopes and so on and so yeah. on and so on and so yeah. forth. But one of the things I did say was I do believe that we should have a second, our second amendment right should be observed. But when it comes to those guns that are powerful, like an AR 15 where an 18 year old can walk into a gun store and buy one on his 18th birthday, I, I am not opposed to doing something in the sense, I know we're getting off topic here a little bit as we share ideas, but this yeah. is two paramedics sitting in a truck, as we've always talked about. And, uh, you know, my idea would be that if I wanted to buy an AR-15, I should go through additional training. I should yeah. go through additional background check. I should go through additional something that I qualify to do that. Um, it doesn't give me the right not to buy it, but it just goes to prove that I'm capable of owning it. And, um, you know, maybe that goes against the fabric of the second amendment, but I think that if there's another, you know, I mean, you just can't go into a gun store and buy a handgun. You know, there are some yeah. States that you can to make it pretty easy, but the FBI usually gets involved in that background. You, when you, do that. <laughs> you, you have to, uh, in every single state in the country, you have to go in, and provide your identification, fill out an ATF form 4473, and they do an instant computer background check. Um, the safeguards are in place. The problem is, is the safeguards are, aren't, uh, quite often aren't enforced. Um, it is, it's actually fairly rare that people are prosecuted for lying on, an, on a form 4473. You know, if you say you've never been adjudicated mentally incompetent or you're not a habitual drug user or whatever like that, some people will lie on that and hope that the background check doesn't catch it. And when it does, um, those people should be prosecuted for the felony they have just committed, you know, uh, but that that's all too rare. That doesn't happen. And what's ironic is some of the states that are most stringent about gun control are all the most also the most lax in reporting uh, patients with mental health problems. Uh that they are required to, to, to submit to that database, but they don't. Um, but, but regardless of that, we have, we have a problem regardless of the tool that's used. I think what, what we, we need to focus on in, in our society is, is, uh, the motivation and, and the reality that it is a likelihood or it, it is a distinct possibility and we need to prepare ourselves for it. Uh, the, Uvalde demonstrated, God knows all sorts of other small communities um, that just being in a small town with lots of neighbors who know each other and wave to each other on the street doesn't insulate you from this horror. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and being a healthcare worker, a front lines healthcare hero, as they called us in the, during the COVID pandemic, doesn't, uh, doesn't insulate you either. Um, as Tulsa has demonstrated to us and plenty of other, plenty of these mass shootings have been in hospitals and, and doctor's offices. Uh, so, you know, people are, the society in itself is on edge and, right. and are resulting to, to violent means of, of resolving their conflicts. Uh, question is, Chris, what do we do as EMS providers to, to number one, protect ourselves, uh, and number two, um, aid the system in identifying the people 
that are uh, that are a risk to the rest of society. You know, how often have we transported <clears throat> violent psych patients, uh, and and our responsibility um, ends at dropping the patient off in the ER and making sure making sure that they're turned over in, in restraints uh, in, in the hospital bed. And that's it. Yep. I wonder if the hospital does any reporting either. Well, I think that's a really good question. And let's save it. Let's go and take our mid-show yeah. break and uh, we'll come back and, yeah. uh, you know, maybe ponder that question since we've gotten derailed today on where we wanted to go and where we've gotten to. But go ahead and uh, give us our mid-show read. Let's do it. Everyone in EMS deserves a reliable communication network like FirstNet built with AT&T. Your fellow public safety professionals at more than 19,500 agencies nationwide rely on FirstNet to make sure they have the connectivity and data they need to care for patients. And FirstNet is now offering increased coverage in rural and tribal areas. So whether you're looking for an individual plan or an agency-wide solution, you can join FirstNet and check out their limited-time special offers at FirstNet.com. You know, Kelly, so the question you asked before we went to break was, uh, you know, what's our responsibility in reporting mental health or severe mental health. And I don't know that reporting is the issue. I think that we have a great opportunity to see things that people don't get to see inside the healthcare facilities, inside the mental health facilities. And, you know, back in the, in the day when we were talking about terrorism, that uh, paramedics and EMTs were on the front lines that when they went into somebody's home, they had the opportunity to say, see things that uh, maybe we shouldn't see as far as explosive or as far as uh, bomb making or whatever it is. Yeah. And then we were asked to report that. And I think that we have that ability, you know, certainly when it comes to uh, uh, abuse, you know, when it comes to sex trafficking, you know, we're there and we see a lot of things that we have the ability. I, I fear that it's not the problem of reporting it's the problem of who's going to follow up after that reporting. Yeah. So it's, it's not that there's not a lot of people who are willing to open their mouth and say something. It's the fact of who's, who's following up. You, you hear all the time on these mass shootings that um, an investigation was done on this person 18 mm -hmm. months ago and they checked mm -hmm. out, you know, so yeah, they're, they're never unknown people out of the blue. Well, some the police, are, but some, some well, are. Yeah, but the vast majority, the police knew about them, you know, or, or, or had, had received credible, uh, threats, you know, and for whatever reason they fell through the cracks. So, but your question went to what, what does EMS yeah. need to do? And, uh, we'd probably need to get to that discussion as that's really yeah. what we wanted to talk to, to, uh, talk about today. And, you know, as an EMS leader, uh, I would look at these to say, are my people ready for the event of the active shooter happening in our service area? You know, not if, but when it happens, mm -hmm. are the providers ready to handle that? You know, we did a lot of training a few years ago, and then all of a sudden it seems that the training slips away. Um, I do think that this needs to be a mandatory mm -hmm. uh, training response with our, with, I agree. Our, with our fellow first responders certainly with law enforcement, I do think that there needs to be more of a role of EMS being on tactical, uh, tactical teams. And, you know, you, uh, you know, it's funny, Kelly, with this school shooting, uh, you came to mind um, where you talk about all the time, who stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the border patrol agent who was getting his haircut that borrowed the barber's, uh, 
you know, uh, weapon and went yeah. to go save his wife and child who were in that. School. Yeah. Um, do we need, you know, we talked about, I, I kind of gave you my opinion about teachers. Do we need to get now again, talk about, uh, you know, arming, uh, paramedics and, yeah. and, you know, a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun. And I know some agencies are thinking about that and have implemented, uh, uh, you know, some strategy on having uh, armed EMS providers. But anytime this happens, we talk about it. You know, we develop a soft plan and then we forget about it and move on yep. to something else. Well, you know, uh, as evidence in Uvalde, uh, the, you know, uh, there's a doctrine for, for dealing with, with active shooters that, that was not followed. And that's all I'll say about it because uh, that, that, still is, is being investigated, but the news reports uh, are pretty damning. Um, but, you know, you mentioned, uh, or I mentioned that we need to harden the targets. Yeah, I think that, that EMS uh, in those areas, uh, I'm not going to say that we require EMS to be armed. Uh, armed self-defense is a personal choice and a personal decision, and I would not impose that level of, of responsibility over someone unwillingly. However, I do believe that that if legislation were passed to allow that sort of thing and the current safeguards uh, and the current requirements that are in place in many places, in, in most states for concealed handgun permits, you know, you have to pass a, a, a a concealed handgun licensing course and, and, and safety and shoot no shoot scenarios and provide and demonstrate adequate gun safety and those things. That's a reasonable barrier right there. Uh, and, and as a demographic concealed carry uh, permit holders are among the safest and most law abiding members of society, plain and simple. Um, I think that's an adequate to adequate barrier. Uh, maybe we make it a little higher, uh, depending on, on the local jurisdiction and, and what their local norms and mores are. Uh, and I don't think it's, you know, I don't think we require teachers to be armed, but that's not a solution anyway. There, there are plenty of teachers uh, and, and school personnel who are willing uh, to, to take on that responsibility where their colleagues may not. Uh, there are a number of school districts and, and counties in Texas where they allow that sort of thing. Uh, Electra, Texas comes to mind. Um, uh, you, you go into a school in Electra, Texas, and it's pretty darn certain that a certain percentage of those teachers are going to be packing firearms. Uh, and, and there haven't been any uh, uh, incidents of, of teachers shooting unruly students um, but what there also haven't been is any incidents of school shootings in Electra, Texas, you know, uh, when, when the shooter knows that he's probably going to be meeting armed opposition very quickly, uh, they, they, they choose other targets, but be that as it may, I, I think, I, aside from hardening, I think that as you mentioned, uh, some mandatory training on mental health, uh, issues and that sort of thing and strengthening in our laws and reporting systems. I think that that um, we could beef up considerably the mental health reporting system and and the the mechanisms to hold people for psychiatric evaluation uh, for longer periods or more uh, or uh, or more in depth counseling. Um, 
I think that could, could stand to be strengthened significantly. Uh, it has eroded over the last 35, 40 years uh, to our detriment. Uh, we could beef that back up and we could impose, we could put those mechanisms back in place and have, you know, inpatient facilities to, to uh, house the ones that we deem too dangerous to be let out in society. Uh, the, the question becomes is how do we build adequate safeguards into those mechanisms that still allow, uh, that still make it difficult to, to infringe on someone's civil rights, you know, because right now, Chris, I mean, you, you worked in EMS and not too long ago that you were on a truck. Um, how many times have we run one of those, he said, she said things where, uh, someone said that, uh, so-and-so was going to kill themselves. And that got a police and EMS response. And someone had to go to the hospital because one jealous lover uh, lied about the other, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And uh, that's less common than it used to be, but there's still the problem about uh, there's still the stigma of, of mental illness in this country where people don't seek help or, or are reluctant to, to, uh, to, um, incarcerate someone against their will uh, uh, because they don't want them labeled with that stigma. We got to do something to erase that stigma and, and still build in adequate safeguards to keep people from having their rights permanently taken away. But Hey, that's what I think. That's what you think. We'd like to hear what you guys think. This is a problem in our society and it's something we all need to face. Uh, and one of the ways we, we find out solutions to those problems, we crowdsource it. We've got a great readership, a great listenership. You guys tell us what you think should be done to help avoid these situations in your communities. We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. For myself and co-host Chris Ciballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.